It's September 23rd, 2017. Ready to die? Okay, hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever, and this is episode 256. So, did you hear the news? The world's supposed to end today. I'm embarrassed to admit that I didn't become aware of our impending collective demise until last night. I happened to be watching a YouTube live stream and someone mentioned it in passing. And then this morning I got a notification linking to a National Geographic article on the subject. And if you're new to the show and you haven't picked up on my sarcasm yet, no, I don't actually think the world's ending today. From what I can tell, this is just another in a long line of BS doomsday predictions. And I'll actually read a little bit from that aforementioned National Geographic article. And uh, it looks like it's by Michael Greshko, and it's dated September 19th. And it's entitled, Why It's Unlikely the World Will End on September 23rd. And once again, today is the 23rd. No matter how you interpret the latest cosmic signs, history tells us people don't have the best track record at predicting the apocalypse. Yeah, I think that's putting it mildly. I did an episode a while back, and I apologize, I can't remember the exact uh, number of the episode, but it was all about failed doomsday predictions spanning from pre-Christian ancient Rome all the way up to the failed predictions of the Millerites, and even more recent failed end times predictions, like the 2012 Mayan apocalypse, and uh, sundry other end times predictions forecasted by modern televangelists, etc. So if you feel like it, you can dig through the archives for that one. And I believe this article later on also goes through a small list of failed end times predictions. See, I'll continue with the article. Then it has an illustration of some kind of cosmic collision. And it says, uh, an object about the size of our moon slams into a planet the size of Mercury in a NASA illustration. Odds are Earth will not meet a similar fate on Saturday. Then it continues, as viral videos and various tabloids tell it, September 23rd, 2017 will mark the end of an age. Depending on your taste, the date will either bring forth a collision between Earth and a rogue planet or a world-changing celestial alignment that heralds the end of days. A world of historical and scientific advice. Don't cancel your plans for the rest of September. And a side note, and this might sound a bit petty or salty, but I've been trying to be a voice of reason online for years now, maybe four or five years, and barely scraping by. You know, I'm very thankful for the small audience I do have, but I still have a, a fairly small following. And videos about the end of the world and spirit science, viral, millions and millions of hits. Ah, it, it makes me want to lose my faith in humanity sometimes. <laughs> Kitten and puppy videos, also very popular, but I actually like kittens and puppies. But enough whining from me, back to the article. Both space-tinged doomsday prophecies reflect two separate efforts from evangelical Christian groups, neither of which enjoy broad support among Christians. One of the claims, championed by self-published author David Mead of Wisconsin, says that on September 23rd, Earth will encounter a supposed rogue planet called Nibiru. Nibiru's back again? Oh, man. Was with conspiracy theorists in this damn 
Planet Nibiru. According to his disputed work on biblical numerology, Mead's prediction is the latest spin on the Nibiru conspiracy theory, with roots dating back to the 1970s. Originally, this rogue planet was supposed to collide with Earth in 2003. However, an uncooperative cosmos forced conspiracy theorists to reschedule for 2012. Five years later, the planet still poses no threat because it doesn't exist. Nib and here's a quote. Nibiru and other stories about wayward planets are an internet hoax, NASA said in a 2012 statement. If Nibiru or Planet X were real and headed for an encounter with Earth, astronomers would have been tracking it for at least the past decade, and it would be visible by now to the naked eye. At the same time, an evangelical Christian publication called Unsealed has argued that the Book of Revelations foretells a September 23rd alignment of several planets, the Sun and Moon and the constellations Virgo and Leo. They claim the alignment heralds the era leading up to the rapture, the moment when Christians believe the devout will vanish from Earth to join Jesus in a new paradise. Now, I've spoken about this many times on the show in the past, and it doesn't automatically invalidate it. But I think it's a pretty interesting fact in light of how much value Christians seem to place in the book of Revelation, that it's thought by biblical scholars that Revelation kind of snuck its way into the Bible, into the biblical canon, uh, because of a mix-up where early church fathers or whoever was picking or assembling the text mistakenly thought it was written by John the Apostle, and it turns out that the book of Revelation, or the Apocalypse of John, or Revelation to John, goes by a number of names, it turns out it was actually written by a different John, an exile living on the island of Padmos. So he's also known as John of Padmos, uh, appropriately enough. That's the theory anyway. So this book that is probably considered by most Christians to be one of the most important books in the New Testament, well, it, it turns out that maybe it shouldn't even been included in the biblical canon in the first place, um, in that it was written by someone else other than the Apostle John, and it was probably his kind of street cred which got it included in the first place. So here's a bit from Wikipedia, just to kind of back up what I'm saying here. John of Patmos, John the Revelator, John the Divine, or John the Theologian, is the name given to the presumed author of the Book of Revelation, the apocalyptic text forming the final chapter of the New Testament. The text of Revelation states that the author is called John, and that he lives on the Greek island of Patmos, where by some he is considered to be an exile as a result of anti-Christian persecution under the Roman Empire. For Domitian. And Domitian reigned between the years 8196 AD or Common Era. And it, it's that's another reason why it's thought not to be John the Apostle. This is probably too late of a date for him to have been active. In fairness, maybe not impossible though, let's say we accept the traditional account that Jesus was at least a historical figure who died, was executed roughly around the year 30. I don't know what 
I don't know how old John would have been at that time. I believe John was considered to be the youngest of the apostles, but let's say he was roughly Jesus's age. Jesus uh, was executed in his uh, early 30s, right? So it could could it be possible that John lived to a ripe old age, uh, which I think is in keeping with certain accounts, uh, and then he he could have penned the book of Revelation during the reign of the Emperor Domitian. I guess it's not impossible, but I believe there's also other reasons why it's thought that the Apostle John and John of Patmos were not one the same. Although I think some ancient accounts did talk about them as if they were. So in this wiki article about the Apostle John, it says, according to church tradition, after the Assumption of Mary, <laughs> which uh, a highly questionable event in its own right, but that's a different episode. John went to Ephesus. From there, he wrote the three epistles attributed to him. John was allegedly banished by the Roman authorities to the Greek island of Patmos, where according to tradition, he wrote the book of Revelation. According to Tertullian, in the prescription of heretics, John was banished presumably to Patmos after being plunged into boiling oil in Rome and suffering nothing from it. Sure. It is said that... All in the audience of the Colosseum were converted to Christianity upon witnessing this miracle. This event would have occurred in the late first century during the reign of the Emperor Domitian, who was known for his persecution of Christians. All right, so I'm kind of in Bible geek mode now. I know we're getting off topic, but I'll continue reading from this wiki page. Traditionally, the writer of Revelation is widely considered to be John the Apostle, who is also seen as the author of the Gospel of John. However, others identify the author as John the Elder, and many modern scholars believe it was written by an otherwise unknown author, to whom they have given the name John of Patmos. The author of the book of Revelation identifies himself only as John. Traditionally, this was often believed to be the same person as John, son of Zebedee, one of the apostles of Jesus, to whom the gospel of John was attributed. The early 2nd century writer Justin Martyr was the first to equate the author of Revelation with John the Evangelist. Other early Christian writers, however, such as Dionysius of Alexandria and Eusebius of Caesarea, noting the differences in language and theological outlook between this work and the gospel, discounted this possibility and argued for the exclusion of the book of Revelation from the canon as a result. And that Nacio article also mentions the rapture, which of course is this very popular kind of eschatological or end times concept popular with certain, I'd say like fundamentalist Christian sects here in America. This idea that Jesus will kind of meet the elect up in the air, you know? And uh, I think it's, it's based on some fleeting New Testament passages. I think uh, possibly Matthew 24, although some argue, is this actually referring to the second coming or whatever the exact difference is? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, and then, of course, Thessalonians 4.17 from the New International Version. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And of course, there's been many failed predictions concerning the rapture as well. I actually, this story has always stuck with me. I had this close friend, I think I've talked about him on the show before, this uh, dude named Ben Ray that I went to high school with. He was a football player who was also very intellectual, and he came from a uh, devout, kind of strict Christian home. 
and he was telling me how he was at some kind of Christian, you know, summer camp or something like that. And one day, one of the counselors, maybe more than one, uh, convinced all the kids that the rapture was taking place and the kids were terrified, including my friend. And then the guy eventually admitted that it was just kind of a drill. No, you know, the rapture wasn't actually happening. Wow. But anyway, back to the article, I might as well continue reading. The alignment in question will actually happen, but the significance of the astronomy is debatable. The biblical sign depends on the number of stars in play, and even astronomers don't agree how many stars officially make up Leo. Some star charts count nine, while others, including National Geographic Star Atlas, star Atlas count ten. How unique is this alignment? Again, the details are murky. For a couple of days in September or October every year, the moon passes near its supposedly foretold position. This year's alignment doesn't seem particularly unusual, says Colgate University Emeritus Professor Anthony Aveni, who specializes in the study of astronomical practices in the ancient world. What's more, Virgo wasn't incorporated into Hebrew astronomy until after the New Testament was written, he notes. But Aveni emphasizes that he's not interested in debunking apocalyptic claims. Instead, he wants to understand their cultural roots. For instance, U.S. religious and cultural traditions are steeped with millenarianism, which focuses on prophecies and apocalypses. And of course, that's referring to the Millerite movement, which I referenced at the top of the show. According to Aveni, these types of claims also seem to grow out of people getting bored with and actively resisting the natural world's penchant for randomness, opting instead for narrative clarity. Everybody wants to know the chemical composition of the burning bush, or where exactly is the Ark of the Covenant. We want the final story, the bottom line, he says. Ultimately, all efforts to decode the universe for signs of foretold doom come down to interpretation, and for millennia, humans haven't shown an accurate knack for it, as National Geographic reported in 2009. And kind of like I did in that episode I mentioned, they rattle off a little list of failed end-time predictions. Let's see, in 65 AD, the Roman philosopher Seneca warned that the planet would burn in a universal fire, while Vesuvius buried Pompeii in lava and ash 14 years later. The end wasn't exactly nigh for the entire planet. Many 17th century Christian Europeans worried that the world would end in 1666, the 1910 arrival of Halley's Comet, uh, May 5th, 2000, the planets Mercury, Venus, Mars, is this like Sailor Moon, Jupiter and Saturn aligned in the sky, a conjunction that some authors claimed would bring about earthquakes, volcanoes, a sudden onslaught of melting ice, it didn't, worries about the Large Hadron Collider, uh, much ado was made out of December 21st, 2012, the end of the Maya Long Count calendar, but the frenzy was about nothing. Scholars reject the very idea that the calendar's end was designed to signal the apocalypse at all. I guess uh, I'll conclude this segment by saying what I always do when I talk about end times predictions on the show, that you know, I think some people, some religious people, believers, when they hear skeptics kind of poo-pooing or thumbing their noses at the idea that the end is nigh, they think it's just us being, you know, obnoxious skeptics, godless naysayers who just don't want to see the truth, uh, who are afraid to be judged by God, who are af afraid to face the end. And on the contrary, I don't run away from the idea of the end at all. I think about it quite a lot, actually. 
Uh, there's probably not a day goes by that I don't reflect on my own mortality. And so, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think eventually there will be an end of the world. I mean, eventually this, this species of ours will, you know, run its course and go extinct like 99% of the species that have ever existed on the face of this planet. Uh, eventually, most likely this planet will be destroyed uh, by, uh, I don't know, the death of the sun, um, you know, some planet killer asteroid, whatever. So I'm not in denial about the fact that, you know, there's some expiration date on us and the planet itself. And so I think, yeah, eventually there will be an end of the world. And uh, how distant in the future that is, I'm not sure. I mean, my guess is, uh, relatively speaking, our species in this planet probably has a, a while left to go. Unless Donald Trump and Lil' Kim start bombing the shit out of each other. But, uh, yeah, politics. But each one of us, each one of us is going to face our own end of the world. There's no getting away from it. You want an end of the world? You want the end times? Each one of us, man, you know, a human lifespan was, you know, on average 70, 80 years. It, it, it ain't that long. Each one of us, either by old age or accident or disease, uh, whatever, each one of us, man, if you're listening to this podcast, I hate to break it to you, but you're gonna die. And I try to make this podcast be brutally be brutally honest, but at the same time, I try to make it fairly upbeat in the sense that I believe in trying to accept the harsh truths and still finding joy in life. So I'm not saying this to bring you guys down. But yeah, someday we're all gonna face our own personal apocalypse. Each one of us is gonna go. So I don't wave my hand dismissively at end times predictions because I'm afraid to face my own personal end. Um, I, I'm, I've been wrestling with the idea of my own mortality and looking it in the face for quite a long time. I doubt these predictions because I don't see any sound evidence to back them up. And end times predictions have a horrible, horrible track record. Uh, and I severely doubt the world is going to end today. But just in case, I'll make sure the, to uh, publish this podcast before midnight. <laughs> One last episode for the road. Um, and it's funny. I, I remember, uh, I think kind of like as an angsty teenager, young 20-something, young, insufferable, tortured artist, thinking in a way how it's almost like every day is the apocalypse. You know, the end of the world is constantly unfolding. Each second inevitably bring uh, bringing us towards our own end, uh, man. No, I, I, that yeah, that's kind of a downer. But uh, and then also I remember um, I was watching this fantastic horror documentary. I think it might have been called The American Nightmare or something like that. It took me forever, but I eventually, like a year ago, tracked it down again. I think it originally aired on IFC or Sundance or something. And it interviewed people like George Romero and Tom Savini, all these kind of horror movie giants. And um, it went pretty damn dark and deep. And Tom Savini is this legendary horror effects guy. And he was talking about his experience in Vietnam and how um, just the horrible things he saw over there. And he even, he was a war photographer. He, he was not, not 
a, a civilian journalist. He was an enlisted man. He was a photographer for whatever branch of the military he was in. And uh, the, the documentary even showed some of his photography of dead bodies, etc. And he talked about how he just kind of had to get used to what he was seeing. And eventually he started, you know, kind of almost clinically studying what he was seeing. And I think this started, according to him, this started to shape his mindset as a horror movie special effects person. And... Uh, yeah, so a lot of his his work, you know, all the gore and stuff he kind of would replicate as a horror uh, effects guy, you know, that, that can be traced back to his experience in Vietnam. And I don't know if it was George Romero or who it was, but someone else, you know, they were talking about zombies, the concept of the zombie and stuff. And uh, they were talking about how, you know, people are always afraid of the end of the world, you know, doomsday and this and that. And talking about how, in a sense, life is the apocalypse. The end of the world is happening now. So I'm not running away from the end of the world. I'm running away from superstitious nonsense. Or rather, I'm standing and facing it and shining a light in its eyes, you know? Yeah. So I guess that's that. I'm not going to go quite yet. Why don't I? I can talk about a couple more things. There was a news story. I'm not even going to bother looking it up. I'll just talk off the cuff. Uh... My brother likes to listen to the local news at work, and there was a news story about Amazon.com. I don't think it, it wasn't in the U.S. It was somewhere in Europe. But um, you know how Amazon always has the suggested results in when you do a search? Uh, other people interested in this product also purchase this or whatever. Well, I guess... Um, there are terrorists shopping for materials on Amazon.com and the algorithm started, it happened enough that the algorithm started suggesting other products that, you know, that other people had purchased. And so it'd be like a person might purchase fertilizer and it'd be like other people who bought this item also purchased stainless steel ball bearings. You know, you know, which are used as uh, um, shrapnel or whatever and, you know, pressure cooker bombs or homemade, you know, improvised explosions, explosives or whatever. And uh, I'm, I'm laughing, you know, that's just like gallows humor because I think it's a serious issue. It's something that, that needs to be taken care of and stopped. Uh, and you guys all know how strongly I feel about terrorism and Islamic fundamentalism, etc. Um but at the same time, it's kind of darkly humorous, just the idea of, you know, a terrorist shopping on Amazon.com and, and it actually, oh, very conveniently and politely suggests what other materials he may need. And then uh, what else do I want to talk about? I don't know if anyone else listening to the show is a fan of the TV show Preacher. I actually watched the whole first uh, season and really liked it. But for some reason, I dragged my feet when it came to catching up on season two. Then last weekend, I just binge-watched binge the entire second season, and I loved it. And I loved it so much that I'm not a big comic book guy. I read comic books. I went through a couple of phases in my youth where, you know, for a little while I would read comics. Then as an adult, I've, only, I've read a few different comics. I read, uh, way back in the day, I read the Crow graphic novel because I was a big fan of the movie. Um... I think I read like X-Men Zombies, 
or Marvel zombies, whatever it's called, and some other, you know, kind of dark, gritty comics aimed towards adults. Uh, see, like The Walking Dead, uh, The Watchmen. And then I just, you know, I just read um, all the Preacher comics. Uh, wow, I wasn't very busy last weekend, was I? That's kind of sad. I, I, I binge-watched the second season of Preacher and read... Uh, actually, no, I, was, I think it was mostly during the work week at night that I was reading the uh, Preacher comics. But I read all the comics. And um, I actually posted this clip I got off of YouTube. I don't know how long it will stay there. I'm sure the person will get some kind of copyright strike at some point. But they've been posting clips from the second season. And uh, they posted this whole segment where the character of Humperdoo is introduced. And how do I explain Humperdoo? Well, it, it's kind of like... I've panned the Da Vinci Code a few times on the show. And I'm not a big fan of that whole Merovingian uh, bloodline of Christ conspiracy theory thing. But it kind of plays up that angle, and um, it, it talks about the bloodline of Christ, except in the world of Preacher, uh, uh, <laughs> it's like in order to keep the bloodline pure so they don't dilute the blood of Christ, they do as much inbreeding as possible. So the character of the Preacher, you know, he's on a search for God, and he thinks he's about to meet the Christ child. And he walks into this room and there's this candle lit in like chamber and you see this person with kind of long hair and a robe seated, you know, working like a scribe on some kind of text. And so they create this very kind of reverent and solemn atmosphere like, oh, he's about to meet this very holy and important person. And so this figure in shadow gets up, you know, this figure kind of wrapped in shadow, and it looks like the outline of Jesus. And the preacher character falls to his knees, and he's going on about how his whole life has been about serving him. Can you help me find your father? You know, God, he's gone missing. And then this character with the German accent in the background suddenly says, we call him Humperdoo. And he, sa he says, what do you call him? And when the preacher on his knees turns around, Humperdoo starts pissing on him. And it turns out Humperdoo is, an, is a massively inbred, mentally handicapped messiah. And he basically he looks like a special needs Jesus. And he enjoys pissing on things. And uh, that same episode opens with, you don't, at the time, you don't know it's Jesus and Mary Magdalene. I think it's supposed to be Mary Magdalene. But you see this guy kind of being suave and, you know, kind of talking this lady into sex or whatever. And then it shows their shadows on the wall going through, like, all the positions of the Kama Sutra. And at the end of the scene, you realize it was Jesus and he's kind of Mr. Suave and kind of, you know says goodbye to this chick he's just romanced and goes out the door with and meets with the apostles. Uh, but just wild, wild stuff. I just, I don't know if anyone else listening to the podcast has ever read the comics or has watched <laughs> the TV show, but uh, there it is, Humperdoo. So um, 
I guess I'll call it quits there. Thanks for listening. You guys know the drill. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Maybe you're watching the YouTube channel now. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that famous alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.